Tech Sounds presents The Conscious Capitalists. Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Sisodia. Hey there, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Good to see you. Good to see you. You're looking very pretty in blue. This is a podcast, but um, he's got a blue background and a nice blue shirt, and it's it's just a very blue day for Raj. So today, we have a really interesting guest, somebody who has been with this organization for over 25 years. And um, his name is Miguel Mir. He's the chief operating officer of Sinopolis. And Sinopolis is the largest um, cinema owner and manager in Mexico and one of the largest in the world. If they aren't in a place where you are now, they will be soon. So this will be a advanced warning on that sense. He's an economist by profession and been involved in the industry for over 25 years. He now serves as the COO of Sinopolis and is the third largest worldwide in terms of screens, the second largest in terms of seating capacity, and number one in terms of attendees. He joined the company when it was still a family business in Mexico. Shortly after he graduated from university, and he'll give a shout out maybe to a couple of his alumni associations in a moment, but uh, his tenure coincided with the entry of multinational chains into the Latin American exhibition market. We'll talk a little bit about that dynamic of how it started, because at one time in Mexico, the government was your biggest competitor. And then suddenly overnight, it disappeared and imported all of these mega national corporations from around the world that came in to try to compete with you. He oversaw the international expansion of the company into Costa Rica, Guatemala, and Panama before taking a break turn a business degree at a certain university named Stanford in 2006. He returned with the business plan that they've used as a model to expand into India, Brazil, Chile, Spain, the Middle East, and the United States. In 2014, he was appointed as a non-family member of the company's board of directors. And currently, Sinopolis has over 6,694 screens in 19 countries across four continents. Wow. Miguel, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Timothy. Thank you for this invitation. Hi, Raj. I'm uh, so happy to be here with you guys sharing about uh, culture, about conscious capitalism and uh, growth, innovation. Uh, all are very interesting topics to me. Yeah. Well, I love it because you're going to be a master at telling the story of how at one time, a small family-owned business in Mexico managed to step into a very competitive global market and really build out a, a significant presence. So I think that for most of our audience in Europe and for many in the U.S., despite your size and growth, a lot of people may not have heard 
of Sinopolis. So maybe tell us a little bit about the story and particularly about when you joined and what you've seen happen from the time you joined into where you are today. Sure, Tim. Let's let's start there. So Cinepolis is a, a family-owned cinema company. What we do is multiplexes. We do we build cinemas to show mostly in the Western world, in Mexico and Latin America, uh, Hollywood content. Uh, in other countries, there are different sources of content that are not necessarily Hollywood, like India, but but we will get there. Uh, so this company was uh, launched in. Um, 52 years back, uh, and I joined the company in 1994, so I'm reaching my 30th birthday in the company next year. Uh, wow. And the 90s were a very interesting decade for the cinema industry in Mexico and, and, and overall in Mexico. I graduated from Tec de Monterrey, Campus Monterrey, in summer 1994, and immediately after graduation, I joined the company invited by Alejandro Ramirez, my current boss, and his father, Enrique Ramirez Villalón, uh, one of the two founders of the company, which were Alejandro's father and grandfather uh, 52 years back. Uh, this is a family business from Morelia, Michoacán, a uh, central state uh, in, in, in the Mexican landscape. Uh, this is a city that has close to 1 million inhabitants, which is not even one of the largest cities in the country. So uh, this story, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting, the fact that after five decades, the company is still based the headquarters here in Morelia, Michoacán, where I am um, having this podcast with you guys uh, at the headquarters office of the company, in spite of the fact that we operate theaters in 19 countries and most uh, Mexican corporate offices are in Mexico City, we still remain our largest corporate uh, building here in Morelia. We also have an office in in, More in Mexico City, but, but we decide to uh, be a economic development force here in the poor state of Michoacán. Um, and so in the 90s, I joined the company. Uh, President Carlos Salinas signed the NAFTA agreement with the U.S. and Canada, and suddenly uh, our competitive landscape significantly changed from having the government as one of our main competitors to compete against in the cinematic landscape uh, and other family-owned businesses to be, let's say, invaded by six of the 10 largest cinema companies globally. Hoyt's, the Australian company, General Cinema, Cinema, the Texan company that still runs a, a big number of cinemas in, in Latin America, not, not anymore in Mexico, but in Latin America. Um, Cinemex, which was funded by three Harvard uh, Business School graduates who were funded by JP Morgan initially, uh, joined the competitive landscape at uh, the mid-90s. And that's where the fierce competition started in the cinema industry in Mexico. And that fierce competition, and talking about uh, capitalism and conscious capitalism, has created uh, at least two companies that are very competitive in the international landscape, not only in Mexico, which is our Mexican competitor, Cinemex, and ourselves, Cinepolis. 
Uh, and not only we were able to defend our turf, but after uh, some years operating uh, in Mexico and reinvestment, reinvesting with a, with a clear strategy from the board to reinvest most of our proceeds back into the company, uh, gave us the capacity, the ability to go out to other markets and become successful there. So uh, as an introduction, this whole story started mid-90s. Uh, the, the the story of, of the, uh, let's say, my involvement in the operations of the company, but also the international expansion because of the way in which we were able to defend our turf uh, to, the, to the huge... Um, gorillas that entered the, the 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 Mexican exhibition landscape. So thank you for that background. You know, I think uh, many things are interesting and I think different about Cinepolis compared to, I would say, a typical or traditional uh, business in this arena. And one of those is the commitment to reinvesting the profits. I think we're, you know, certainly for the last 15 years, we've been at a time when most companies have literally used 100% or more of their profits, you know, in dividends and share buybacks and not really investing that much in the future. And I think Cineplos has a history of investing up to 90% of profits, right, in future growth. And That's has correct. That trend, has that changed in recent years or does that continue to be the philosophy? Well, uh, this was a very uh, strict and very disciplined uh, strategy uh, that, that that Cinepolis had for many decades. For let's say, even from inception, most of of, of the of the profits of the company went back. That's why we have been able. When I joined the company, we had close to six hundred and eighty screens, six eight zero. Now we run sixty eight hundred. Um, one order of magnitude uh, higher in 19 countries. So in order to reach that, to achieve that, you need a lot of capital to, to grow. Uh, and you could either get loans from the bank or reinvest uh, and finance that through your your internal capacity of generating uh, value, generating cash. And that's the route that the, the, the Ramirez family and the Cinepolis finance team took for many decades. And But something happened. And to your question, Raj, do we still are maintaining that, that, that mindset? Uh, well, we had the worst... Um, the worst catastrophe that our industry, which is a more than 110-year-old industry, has had, which is the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, that took away the, the revenue and the habit of going to cinemas from most of the population. And to us, was a hit of 85% of our sales of our revenue was disappeared in 2020. Um, and then we had, uh, a, 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 let's say, slow recoupment in 2021. Uh, it accelerated a little bit more in 2022, but we are still not at the levels uh, at which we were in 2019. So this has been a three-year recovery path uh, for one of the industries that have been hurt the most because uh, other other companies were able to sell their products and deliver home delivery to, to their consumers. Um, technology companies were actually uh, strengthened by the, 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 the COVID accelerating trends of buying online and of buying uh, digitally. But our brick and mortar business 
really got hurt uh, significantly. Many companies went Chapter 11. Let's let's even go back and see the U.S. market, which is the largest market for cinemas in the world. And company number one in the U.S., Regal Cinemas, is in Chapter 11 as we speak. So uh, companies that were able to get through that very slow recovery, I think that will thrive in the future because they were, uh, they learned out of the darkest hours how to survive. Uh, and and that's the current state, Rush. Going back to your question, if we are reinvesting, well, not really. Now we are repaying the debt that we acquire during this, this uh, period of time. I think the interesting learning here for the audience is the fact that we were financially so solid that we were able to get um, financing from banks in order to get out of this uh, this unexpected pandemic. Other companies that were not that financially solid uh, went bankrupt. Well, that raises a really interesting question, you know, and you've got your Stanford MBA. So put your Stanford MBA hat on and suddenly say, well, you know what? financing matters and the kind of financing you have and the kind of financial strategy that you choose to have in your industry conservative as it may be has allowed you to actually grow at the pace and in the way that you want to grow as opposed to other companies that may be teetering on chapter 11 or are in chapter 11 because they were driven by a different financial model in terms of what they were doing with the debt, who owned them, how much they were extracting in terms of special dividends, <laughs> et cetera, versus reinvesting in the business. So I, I, I think one of the things that we're learning within conscious capitalism is the conscious money, the conscious financial strategy of how you choose your investors and particularly your source of capital is hugely important in your ability to innovate and grow the way you feel best for absolutely. your situation absolutely tim that's paramount for every uh investor and entrepreneur that is listening to to this podcast um your strategy not, not only of the product and of the market that you're trying to reach but the intelligence with which you finance and you back up uh, your business plan is paramount for the success of every every business in every sector and in every industry. And uh, your uh, recollection of putting back my MBA hat of the years uh, at, at, at school, at the classroom, uh, is great because when I was there in Silicon Valley, in, let's say one of the most aggressive um landscape in order to finance and to create value pretty much from an idea and not a mm. lot of capital resources backing that up um, made the industry that I came from like a, a, a strange species because it's super capital intensive. Uh, it was a family owned company with brick and mortar uh, discussing my future business plan with my finance professors there at the Silicon Valley, for them was, hey guys, you are too conservative. You could <laughs> extract more value by acquiring more debt, uh, and uh, and the yield to to the to the uh, stockholders of the company would be much better. And I said, yes, you you may be right in a stable economy, 
But remember that we come from a Latin American country where every six years we used to have a huge economic crisis. And we were able to survive those crises because of being financially really stable and let's say even conservative in the uh, skewed towards the conservative end of the uh, of the financial risk and that same dna was the one that made us prevail this uh, huge covid crisis uh that uh, in the sense of how to be smart in financing all of the the, the ventures that you will try to to go to I, I read in your background that you were also a producer. Is that true? That you were involved in, in the movie business? That's true. That's true. I went from the numbers uh, and uh, left side of the brain uh, to to all the way to the right side of the brain of producing content. And actually, the first movie that I produced, I bought it from India, one of the largest Bollywood titles uh, ever in the in the industry of Bollywood is Three Idiots uh, with Amir Khan. And I bought the rights for doing that movie and do a remake of that movie in Mexico because I thought that Three Idiots, that Indian movie, portrayed a story that was needed to be told in Mexico, which is a story of three engineers that are challenging the system and don't want to drink the Kool-Aid and, and to absorb everything that academia tells them. And these are very three uh, three smart engineers that are challenging the, the, the system and their pursuit of, of a deeper purpose in life. That, and by the way, that's what uh, conscious capitalism is trying to 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 um, to share with, with with this audience. And that's why Three Idiots was so close to my heart when I saw it in one of our openings of one of our first cinemas in India. And when I saw that movie, I said, "Well, I need to do something to bring that movie, that story, to Mexico." And we did that also with a partnership with with Tech de Monterrey. We shot that movie uh, in Campus Santa Fe in Tech de Monterrey. And Tech de Monterrey was a big part of, of, of the, the, the uh, telling of the story uh, because the campus and university almost becomes a character of the of the story. And that was my first movie, Rush, an Indian movie, Three Idiots, Tres Idiotas in Spanish. Wow, I have to watch that. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, movies of any language because it is very much about meaning and purpose. And it's, it's something that, you know, I felt I was one of those idiots when I went to engineering school in India because... You're kind of steered into certain professions, especially in certain cultures, right? You do kind of the expected thing. And if you're good in math and science, you go into medicine, uh, engineering. And if you're good in biology and science, you go into medicine and otherwise, you know, figure it out. But I think that was a, a huge um, impetus for many families to have honest conversations with each other and with their kids about what do you really want to do versus what are the pressures. So I'm so glad that you you did that. So you did that after you joined Cinepolis or was that after, uh, in the gap after graduating? No, uh, I joined Cinepolis almost 30 years back and I right. did my master's, my first master's degree uh, in Stanford in 2007. So I joined the company in 1994. I did my first master's degree in 2007. We opened our first cinema in 2010 in 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 uh, the province of Punjab in Amritsar uh, the border with Pakistan uh we opened our four, first fourplex there uh, and I was able to buy the rights for three idiots one year after that and between the 
producing, the shooting, the editing, post-producing. The movie was launched in 2014 and was the second Mexican largest box office generating movie for the Mexican titles that year. Uh, we were number two that year. So uh, this was 2014. So I was part of the company. Uh, and after that, we started producing other titles like the Italian comedy called uh, Perfectos Desconocidos in Spanish, Perfect Strangers uh, is the English title that they gave it. And we also did that. but. That second movie was with Cinepolis as the production house, uh, with me being the producer of those two titles. Well, what I like is the the undercurrent of a love for uh, cinema running through this company. You know, it's not just another business and looked at through the prism of numbers that you really see the magic. Of, of yeah, well, I, I think that we live in the verge where art and industry collide. Uh, and we need to have the artistic end of of the cinematic flair of the storytelling. You have literature, you have music, you have screen script writing, you have uh, dance, you have light, uh, you have photography, uh, you have painting, you have color. You have so many artistic elements to blend in into something that is part of an industry and generates jobs and generates economy and moves the world forward. Uh, and not only generates, uh, let's say wealth, but also generates a cultural heritage. Because what you see in the big screen is a portrait of how we think the kinds of jokes that we laugh at, the music that we like to dance, the things that make us sad, uh, and so that 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 merge of um, of art and industry is something fascinating to me. And the more you, I mean, you have to develop your business skills, um, of course, to understand the 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 nudges of of the business. But if at the same part you develop uh, more of the artistic end of the industry, you can make better decisions because you're not only financially driven or you're not only uh, culturally uh, or artistically driven. You have to think about both when you are making decisions. And I think that's that's one of the, the, the key elements of success of Cinepolis, that this is a company that has had those two elements uh, vivid in the DNA of the company ever since inception. It's also part of, I think, your vision, right? Um, I, I share the share the vision or purpose that, that you've got for Sinopolis, because I think it it captures the spirit of what you're talking about. Sure. Well, the vision is to enlighten, as as you enlighten the screen, enlighten the lives of uh, our customers and our Sinopolites with uh, smiles and um, with uh, with yeah, basically with smiles. So the, the, the smiles of others are those elements that will enlighten the lives of others. And this is kind of poetic in the sense that in the end, cinema is light. It's all about light in a screen uh, and smiles are light. So we we, we try to, to craft um, a vision that has kind of this poetic element as well as, uh, as industry because you want to have as many customers and as many guests as you can have in an auditorium 
I also want to touch on on your culture because I think one of the things that we learn within the conscious capitalism framework is the importance of culture and specific you are in an industry that in many ways your frontline workers is renowned certainly in Europe and the US for very very high turnover rates of your frontline workers and um not very high retention rates and you've made a decision to invest in your culture invest in your people and the result has been a high degree of innovation you 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 know you're you're constantly innovating constantly testing new ideas and those things to me are so linked and so often missed by so many business people who look at the frontline workers and say it's a cost item and um so tell us a little bit about the background to how you developed the culture and how do you nurture that kind of um openness to to ideas and innovation that comes from some of your frontline parts of the organization i think that's a great uh, question and i would start my answer by saying that we are very clear that we are in the service industry and service well now you can skew service more towards technology but let's think about this brick and mortar uh company mm-hmm. let's even go back to the 90s where I was mentioning about the NAFTA uh, agreement and when our competitive landscape changed significantly. To us, one of the best differentiation elements would be service because in the end, we we didn't have computers or phones back there. Uh, Even in the company, there were no computers. I graduated in 1994 from economics in Tech de Monterrey and I used to work with with, a econometrics uh, software, but that was like the tip of the iceberg of, 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 of uh, the digital world. There were no computers here in Sinopolis, and, and that was one of my also uh, starting uh, responsibilities to, 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 to bring some uh, digital elements to, to our operations. But uh, the point what I'm trying to make is the fact that uh, we acknowledge that we are in the service industry, and those who provide service are our Cinepolitos, our frontline staff members. And back then, in the 90s, they were part of a very old union and very powerful union. And we were able to convince the Mexican labor authorities to uh, ease the the burden of those uh, unions in order we we told them either we evolve together or some of us are going to die uh, in in the path of 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 innovation because the huge international companies are already in mexico and if we don't evolve and if we don't evolve through service uh, and through excellence in service we won't be able to survive this this, this fierce competition so uh, that's where we started doing things really different with our frontline uh, staff members and training them more. And you're right, Tim, we have huge turnover. And uh, let's say w- I, I, that would be an average of 50% turnover in a year. So in two years, you have 100% new staff members in every cinema, everywhere. Uh, how can you maintain uh, culture and how can you maintain training 
well to us was first to start with the cinema managers and train them very well and be very clear on what we are expecting uh, on them. And on top of that training, which is kind of something that is written in a in a in a pamphlet, in a manual, um, the more soft skills of culture, like being on time and being present and uh, and being strict in the directions and in the decisions that are made and follow through, uh, but still be candid and be close. And we discussed and shared a lot of our values constantly uh, in order to make the culture this this glue that bring us all together. Because back then to us, it was even hard to think that our cinemas were so far apart. We're here in Morelia, the center of Mexico. We had cinemas in Tijuana, in Cancun, in Villahermosa, in Chiapas. And those managers were far away from their families. We're running a cinema um, from the distance. And we knew that culture would have a huge impact in in in, in having this glue uh, of 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 service. So let me jump quickly towards innovation and how culture impacts innovation. So we started seeing that competing against these companies that had in our minds endless resources to put computers and to bring super nice chairs, uh, super good snacks in the concession stand. It was very hard to compete against them. And we knew that we Mexicans are really innovative and we know how to deal with scarcity. And through scarcity, we try to find solutions to problems. So one, uh, uh, we launched with Alejandro, my boss, we launched an, an innovation contest around nationwide. Uh, with all of our Cinepolis, with all our frontline members, they could apply to a, to a contest uh, in terms of innovation, and they had to solve an operational problem that would either increase the revenue or the sales of their concession stand or increase customer satisfaction. So you could compete in, in, in either category. And our friend... Um, Enrique uh, Guizar from Tijuana, from Plaza Carrusel, Tijuana, in 1998 or 1999, uh, sent us a very interesting proposal in terms of innovation that could either increase revenue or increase customer satisfaction. And he sent us a piece of cardboard. That's it. A piece of cardboard. And we say, well, I mean, what's, what's Enrique thinking? What should we do with that? And what he invented was the popcorn division. Uh, so people ask for spicy popcorn or caramel popcorn as well as butter popcorn. And we used to have square popcorn buckets uh, and with a piece of cardboard that divided that square into two triangles, he was able to sell two different flavors and that increased significantly our sales. We were able to implement that nationwide pretty fast. Now we use that popcorn divider in the 19 countries where we operate. An idea that came from the front line of Plaza Carrusel Tijuana in 1998 is now implemented in 19 countries. So I'm trying here to bring the bridge team from culture towards innovation and how innovation is not necessarily with 
uh, rocket scientists and with amazingly smart engineers running the most expensive computers in the world. You can have innovation at a concession stand with a piece of cardboard. If you look at the problem from the proper angle and uh, you have clear what you're trying to to achieve. So I, I leave it here uh, with Enrique's proposal from, from Tijuana, Tim. Well, building off of that, I mean, going from, as you said, 680 um, rooms to, you know, almost 6,900, that's a big scaling. And as you reflect back now, what was key to the maintenance of that culture? Because it not only was scaling it within Mexico, but it was scaling it outside of Mexico. It was scaling it into the US. It was scaling it into India. Very different cultural environments. I mean, one could argue between Mexico and Brazil, there's a pretty big change in culture. Um, so as you sort of both scaled it and expanded it into different geographic locations, when you reflect back, what are the two or three important lessons you learned in doing that, that our audience so, could learn from? Yeah, I, I think that's also a very interesting question in the sense that, that uh, as you are implying in the question, there's not a single uh, element that could be replicated. It's a sum of parts and a sum of elements. But one of those elements that comes to my mind is how cohesive the top management team has been over, not only over the years, over the decades. Um, Alejandro Ramirez, my boss, it started his, his journey. I mean, he was born and raised within this industry, but his journey linked to the industry also in 1994, he's also at his almost 30th uh, year with involvement in the company. Um, in spite of the fact that he went abroad and studied uh, two master's degrees, one in economics, uh, some years trying to reach his PhD in economics in, in England, and he left it in order to get go come back here to Mexico. But even though he has a very solid academic background and years of, of, of training in the most prestigious schools in the globe, he has not left uh, the involvement within the company. And once he came almost uh, to, to take the CEO position almost 20 something years back, uh, he has always maintained a pretty cohesive top management team and cohesive board with even though this is a privately held company and family owned company he has modernized the board by uh, bringing uh, on board different external board members with different skills that will complement the 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 space where the larger decisions the company are made which is the board so one circle down the top management top management it's also pretty cohesive mauricio vaca our cfo has been more than a decade in, in the company and we pretty much share very similar values visions as well as arturo lopez our chief investment officer eduardo acuña the 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 top executive who went and opened brazil 
one Mexican guy with decades of knowledge of the culture of Sicilian police went to Brazil to open our our business in Brazil. He hired pretty much everyone there, local guys. We sent maybe one more Mexican out of a, 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 a company that had uh, more than 100, close to 200 employees. Um, and we did the same thing in India, Javier Sotomayor, with whom uh, we wrote a couple of, of, of cases uh, for other educational institutions in Mexico about our journey to India. Javier is still almost uh, 20, almost 15 years after we launched our operations in India. He's still living in New Delhi. His kids went to school and lived uh, life of, of expats in India for decades and the cohesiveness of this top management team, I would say would be the first uh, element as well as adding the cultural end of, of, of this uh, spectrum, um, innovation and a last uh, element that I would uh, that I would bring to my answer would be the customer centricity. When you are struggling with a decision, What's the decision that will bring a better customer satisfaction uh, result? And that's the decision that you will, uh, you should be inclined to make. Um, so these elements, all of them playing together with, of course, conservative um, finances and, and a really detailed care of, of investments and of EBITDA in every single market uh, has has made us thrive in, in markets that are super competitive and super hard, like the Brazilian market. I mean, many, many Mexican companies have failed in the Brazilian market, and that's not our case. So so we feel that that um, the combination of these elements has, has given a, a, pos a, a, a um, let's say, a, a, an efficient formula. So that's been your sort of one of your superpowers. Um, and one could argue it also creates a vulnerability going forward. So as you think about succession planning, which is obviously a big deal in any family business, but I'm also thinking about the cohesion of an, an executive team that's been around and knows each other, high level of trust, really works well together. Now you're going into a place where you're going to be modernizing i don't mean that in a bad way but you know you're going to be modernizing the executive team um or re uh realigning it um how are you thinking about that how how are you approaching that issue of replacing an incredibly successful incredibly cohesive team i don't even know where you begin to think about that <laughs> no i think that's a, a great point but that, and we are thinking about that even from the board member perspective because even though board members are family members uh no no capital from external sources uh themselves are thinking in bringing a board position or a number of board position that will add diversity to the, the the board itself that also trickles down to the top management team we know that we are 50s and more, and our customer base is very young. And what we like and what we dislike is very different to, to our hardcore customer base. Um, 
and uh, we need more diversity in the top uh, in the top tier of the of the company. So, uh, and I think this is a great month, the month of June, with this uh, with the Pride movement and uh, and um, not only diversity but uh, also integrating different uh, skills and. Uh, into into not only the decision making but also cinemas we are trying to bring at least one person with uh, um, with mobility um, issues with with wheelchairs in cinemas so they can be part of our staff members of our ecosystem of cinepolitos in every cinepolis uh, because we have we acknowledge that we're not only doing something positive for him, for the kid in the wheelchair, but for the all the other hundred uh, cinepolites that are working with him, in order to normalize the fact that you have to work with uh, diversity in every in every uh, location. So, Timothy, this I, I think this was a long answer, but we need to push. Uh, diversity and get out of the formula of success, which can become that formula of success exactly the 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 recipe for failure if we don't evolve at the speed at which uh, the world is is evolving. I think that's one of the scariest things that we think about not being able to move as fast as the market is moving, and that's the reason for for failure as we as we see it. Yeah, well, I want to go back to the innovation dimension and then talk about the future of the industry and future of, of Cinepolis as, as the landscape shifts uh, so rapidly. So I think one of the great things about this company, as we talked about the innovations, whether it's something simple and yet so impactful like the popcorn divider, but all the other ways in which you've been a leader uh, in the industry and bringing in the VIP seating and the IMAX and the uh, XC and the 4DX and even the junior rooms for families and all of that. I think you've always been at the forefront of uh, of innovation and even things like spreading French movies. I thought that was quite fascinating that you're the number one destination for French movies outside of France, but you promoted that, right? So there's kind of a cultural leadership role I think this company plays in cultivating the taste of the public and responding to that. And, you know, I think Mexico is home to some of the greatest movie directors, uh, starting with Louis Bunuel, and then, of course, the contemporary ones. So, so there's a lot going on there in terms of this whole arena of movies and how Cinepolis has been a non-traditional uh, theater company in the role that it has played, I think, beyond the basics. Sure, Raj. So in that sense, um, as, uh, as it was mentioned earlier, we are kind of in the merge of of culture and art and and the industry and we've seen many companies around the globe that might think that for example doing a movie festival is costly um it, it, it it's time consuming it's really stressful because you have to make things happen and have to deal with very high maintenance people around the film festival uh, but we thought that it was worth it. And uh, based under Alejandro Ramirez's leadership uh, and presidency of the board of the Morelia Film Festival, the Morelia Film Festival was launched 19 years back. And in a 
uh, and it has never stopped in the 20 years, not even during the pandemic years. Uh, the film festival stopped any of the, of the editions with all the problems that that would imply. Uh, what was the purpose or the reason for doing a film festival that is costly and that takes time? Um, well, we were trying and we are trying to discover the Mexican talent. The two most important categories in the Morelia Film Festival are documentary and short film. And short film and documentary are the two formats of, of, of doing a movie that are less expensive and less, let's say, hard to, to to produce so we were trying and we are still trying to find the best voices the most talented filmmakers in Mexico and give them a window of opportunity and we believe that long term that will help uh, our our company and our ecosystem because having more good Mexican directors and not only the superstars that we all know the three amigos but but having more of that breed of talent will help the industry overall and will strengthen the culture more than only thinking about our company and based on the conscious capitalism lenses. Uh, it's not only about doing good in your company, it's doing right in the ecosystem, in the industry, in the, in the community uh, with which you are working. So, so you can, bring leave a heritage that is stronger and deeper and more meaningful than specifically a company which is culture and which is cinema so um french movies we thought always that french movies were great and didn't have the visibility that that could be in place and with a little bit of effort from the French embassy and with a little bit of effort of, of a couple of French uh, associations for promoting film and with a little bit of effort in our end and providing the, the spaces and the screens and the auditoriums uh, for a French film festival to occur. Uh, we thought that, that over time people would see the, the smartness of the French while doing cinema. And as you said, Rush, we became, we are the second largest country in terms of watching French films. And it was all, it all started with a small uh, French film festival in Mexico City that expanded over the years. So also maybe tenacity and discipline. Once you, once you decide to do something, well, to gain prestige for a film festival will not happen overnight. And to create the habit of watching French movies will not happen overnight either. So uh, the, 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 let's say greet also, greet uh, tenacity uh, um, and discipline of pursuing your strategy uh, is what pays off dividends over time. Let's talk about the future of the industry. You know, as you talked about, the numbers are still not back to pre-pandemic levels. People's habits fundamentally changed. People have set up pretty elaborate home systems with good sound and everything else and large screens. Uh, so how do you uh, plan for the future? Because I think there's something beautiful that is lost if everybody's just sitting in their own living room watching their stuff as opposed to the communal shared experience of laughing together with people and getting scared together and just going on that you know that journey it's very special 
so how do you feel about the uh, the long-term prospects here? Uh, what do we have to do to make, ensure the thriving of, of this particular way of people coming together? Sure. Um, I think that the future of the industry will be one under evolution, as it has been for more than 110 years back. Uh, our cinematic industry, our exhibition industry, will keep evolving, will not disappear, that I'm sure of. Uh, in this in this industry has been facing technology, technological challenges for more than a century. Just bear in mind that this industry has gone through already two pandemias, not only COVID-19. Back, a hundred years back, we have the Spanish flu pandemia and cinema was already a business. Cinema has gone through two world wars, World War One, World War II, and the, 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 the launch of many different technologies. Cinema was here before radio, before TV, before color TV, before VHS, before Blockbuster, uh, before uh, Netflix, before streaming, before Amazon, and will prevail. I don't have a doubt uh, about that because you said, Rush, it would be really sad if we lose the capacity of sharing a, a, a story. I'm sure we will not lose it because we will not allow that to happen. Uh, and, and I'm not saying Cinepolis, I, I'm saying humankind. We will not be able to lose the capacity of, of, of sharing a story as a community. It all started back in the bonfire uh, in the Paleolithic period, uh, sharing stories around light, which is a bonfire. And, uh, and we will not lose that capacity, that ability as a, as a species, I, I, I would guess. It's so ingrained in our um, humanness that, that we will not lose that. It, it will evolve, of course. We will have to add technology. We will have to add, um, and, and by the way, filmmakers are great at that, at adding technology and at being at the forefront of the thought process and of the dreaming of, of us as humankind with the avatars of the world and with the, with this, with the gravities, with Alfonso Cuaron taking us to the space and living a two-hour ride in the space with no gravity. Those trips are just amazing and we will not be, uh, be, be, be able to evolve as a species without having those uh, communal experiences. So will it go all the way up to 2019? I don't have a doubt on that. Some markets will grow faster and differently than others. Of course, you will have the US more stagnant and the more mature markets not growing at the pace at what we will see in China, in India, in Indonesia, um, in the Arabic countries where cinema is not as, as, uh, as prevalent as other sources of entertainment. Latin America is growing very rapidly, very fast. Uh, we have been able to execute cinemas in one of the smallest towns uh, around Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, etc. Uh, and so the growth of this industry will keep its pace. We will have to uh, relocate resources. Probably we will have to reinvent our uh, business 
in the way in which we reinvented, for example, and you were willing to touch on innovation brush uh, a minute back, when we launched the, the research seating. Before us, there was no research seating. And research seating changed the experience for consumers because you were not fighting back when you enter a cinema for a seat and you were not uh, sending your uh, friends or your kids to go grab uh, five seats in the, in the cinema um, because now you have your seat in your phone. And if you are going to sit in the front row, you already know it, uh, which is a very different cons consumer experience than reaching a cinema doing a night out and ending up in the front row because you were not early or because there was a lot of traffic at the parking lot and someone else took, took, took the seats that you were uh, willing to get. So that evolution that happened with the reserved seats will happen in many other aspects of the cinematic experience and of the cinematic journey. But I don't see a moment in time where there will be no cinemas. Uh, I don't see any technology being, being able to overcome, to take out the communal experience of, of, of watching a movie, of laughing, of crying together as a community. I don't see that happening in any other art form yet. Well, Miguel, pivoting a little bit here. Um, you know, we say that a business can't be more conscious than the level of consciousness of its leaders. And... Um, clearly to maintain this kind of very conscious culture it's got to mean something to you so personally what has been your journey why are these values why is this important to you and what's your story well how, where did you come from that this made a difference uh, <laughs> and you wanted to do this I think this, uh, well, I, I, I'm going to try to be very brief because I'm sure my story is is, is not as interesting as many other stories. But uh, I was born in Houston, Texas, and I came back to Mexico when I was three years old. Uh, I studied in the city of Cuernavaca, my primary and secondary school, then the city of Querétaro, then I went to Monterrey uh, with a scholarship. Uh, given or earned by Tech de Monterrey to study economics. Uh, in Querétaro, I met Alejandro Ramirez, my, my boss, and my parents got divorced when I was uh, in Querétaro. So I applied for this scholarship, which fortunately, Tech de Monterrey has this financial support for, for students that, that are not able to pay the full, uh, the full tuition. And through that, I earned my degree at Tec de Monterrey, came to Morelia to start this journey with the, the Cinepolis uh, family and the Cinepolis ecosystem, um, always bearing in mind that education was going to be pivotal, was going to be of the essence for a future, not only, well, by the way, my mother is an English teacher. So there are always been books and papers to write and to evaluate uh, at home. And the academic uh, aspect of us as humans has always been present uh, in my in my life. Uh, I was also a Boy Scout when I was really young, when I was at, at the secondary school. And those institutions also bring you a sense of community and a sense of, of responsibility and a sense of giving back. Uh, my mother being a teacher, somehow you try to give back knowledge, uh, values, and you try to also model what you try your students uh, 
to 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 do. So maybe from that angle, team is where where things uh, that spark uh, ignited really young uh, at a young age. I also keep myself teaching. I've been for the past eight years teaching at Carnegie Mellon in LA, a class of, of uh, exhibition business that where I deal a little bit with distribution, pro production, but storytelling and many of these concepts that we're sharing here today. Um, and I also think that being a professor and teaching constantly brings you this consciousness that you have to develop the next generations and the next group of decision makers uh, in order to have a stronger base to to build on top of on top of that. So I don't know if this was the right answer, but that was uh, a little bit of myself. Beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. Raj, uh, any last question on your side? To make your acquaintance, Miguel, um, you know you are real poet and a philosopher and a and a leader so i love that you bring the whole left brain right brain heart and soul uh, to the business which is as it should be in all business especially one like this so thank you for spending time with us and uh, look forward to seeing the movie that you produced uh <laughs> what's it called tres idiots three idiots tres idiotas exactly yeah yeah, yeah. i'll be watching that and uh, look forward to coming to one of your theaters thank you rush Thank you. Well, thank you, Miguel. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please go over to um, iTunes and your Apple um, podcast area and leave us a score, give us a rating, give us some feedback. And on whatever channel you're listening to, if you enjoyed today, feel free to hit the subscribe button. And thank you to Tech Monterey for sponsoring our overall program and to Tech Sounds for producing this every week and raj any other special thanks well thanks to the conscious enterprise center uh, it's a pleasure to work with uh, my colleagues there to help spread these ideas uh, throughout mexico and latin america and the world thank you all and we'll see you next week mm -hmm.